Hey folks, welcome to the Music of the Spheres podcast. We are broadcasting tonight from somewhere deep in the hills of upstate New York. Wherever, whenever, and however you're listening, we thank you for being part of our universe. We are two brothers, bivocational ministers, seekers of truth, and drinkers of yellow beer. And we would just like to welcome you in tonight to episode number 49. Well, here we are, one away from the big uh, half-century mark, Jason. It's big news. <laughs> don't you Is think? It? No, it's not big news. It's, uh, <laughs> it's no news. It's small news. I don't know. Yeah. I think 5-0 will be big news. Yeah, that'll be big news. Episode 49. So uh, we're continuing... Uh, a series that I've been I started last time in episode 47 so that's going to be fun and uh, it's yeah it's the Wednesday after Thanksgiving is when we're releasing this but we're mm-hmm. actually recording a few days early we just uh, finished our Thanksgiving yeah um, birthdays and Thanksgiving yeah yeah yep uh, yeah so here we are uh, excited to share the episode with you so I'm going to start things off with the um, moon update as I always like to do. Uh, so for uh, Wednesday, November the 29th, the moon phase is a waning gibbous and it is in the sign cancer. So, uh, that's kind of the idea there. And, uh, so given that I will share with you the, uh, horoscope for cancer, but first, what if you wanted to know about cancer? So, the sign cancer is uh, anyone born from June 21st to July 22nd. And uh, here, is the, here is the description of that sign according to Allure. Because that's where I get all my most important <laughs> information from. Allure.com. It's not Allure. It's... <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's what I was getting it confused with. <laughs> A magazine all this time. Yes, yes, a lure. All right, so Cancer is a cardinal water sign represented by the crab. This oceanic crustacean seamlessly weaves between the sea and shore, representing Cancer's ability to exist in both emotional and material realms. Cancers are highly intuitive, and their psychic abilities manifest in tangible spaces. For instance, cancers can effortlessly pick up the energies in a room. These crabs are highly sensitive to their environments, as well as extremely self-protective. Much like their celestial spirit animal, cancers are shielded by hard external shells. At first, these crabs may be perceived as cold or distant. With time, though, cancers reveal their gentle nature, genuine compassion, and mystical capabilities. Just... Don't be surprised if it takes a while to get to know them. So that's from uh, from our friends over at Allure.com. Hmm. Yeah. Do you know any cancers that you know of? It was June. June 21st to July 22nd. I'm trying to think if there's anybody. Um, I, I mean, I must. I'm sure I know cancers. So I just don't know everybody's birthdays. You July know? 22nd. July 22nd. Yeah, I know a couple. You got a couple on there? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How's Allure's description of them? Does it fit? Are they crabby? The people you know? Not, uh, <laughs> not oh, like always. <laughs> Sometimes. Yeah. Uh, but who isn't? Right. Everybody has a little time of being crabby. Yeah. Where did that come from anyway? 
Crabby? Yeah. Like it gives a pretty bad name to crabs. I know. Seriously. They seem like... Like a decent they seem shellfish. I wonder... I don't know. Like crustacean. I, I feel like they must actually have quite a pleasant existence. Yeah, right? it's kind of like hanging out in the mud. And yeah, yeah. Floating around. And yeah, I think What do they ever be crabby about? Yeah, really. They're at the beach <laughs> yeah, right. all the time. Yeah. <laughs> they Perpetual live. Perpetual vacation. They live at the beach. Yeah. <laughs> like, come on, quit, quit being crabby. You're at the beach. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's like a sign, actually, at a lot of beach houses. Don't be crabby. You're at the beach. And it shows pictures of crabs. <laughs> Right? Yeah. You've seen those before, like when you rent a beach house or something? Yeah, nobody wants somebody who's crabby at the at the ocean. No, well, that's why you take them to the ocean. Right. <laughs> you are crabby. Let's get to the ocean. <laughs> get you to the beach. Yeah. Um, all right. So, yeah. You know some? I uh, think it's right. At the, least three. Yeah. But they're very, like, all three of them are pretty different people. Yeah. Yeah. So, I don't know. That's where it gets a little confusing. That is funny, right? Yeah. Uh, shielded by hard external shells. Uh, yeah. cold or distant with time though reveal their gentle nature genuine compassion mm. yeah there's genuine compassion yeah. yeah yeah just don't be surprised if it takes a while to get to know them <laughs> 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 yeah that's what our friends at Allure say anyway uh, okay so then uh, what shall we learn about cancer for this week we can read the horoscope for cancer for this week that the podcast will be delivered uh and i'm reading from the hindustan times actually uh and so jason i'm gonna let you choose two of these um so you can you can hear the love horoscope for this week you can hear the career horoscope you can hear the money horoscope or you can hear the health horoscope and i'll let you choose two of those mm. So, yeah, so, uh, yeah, I'll let you choose. I'll let you choose to. Love, uh, career, money, or health? How about health and love? All right, health and love. First, the cancer health horoscope for this week. Well, your health will be good. Ensure you do not take junk food this week. Take it. (laughs) Don't take it. Leave it. (laughs) Instead, have more fruits and vegetables. Stay away from an unhealthy diet consisting of too much fat, oil, and sugar. Yoga and meditation are recommended to be healthy and fit. Pregnant females must avoid adventure sports, including rock climbing this week. This week? <laughs> next week, next go, week if go for it. it. Yeah. <laughs> if you're still pregnant next week, go Let for the, the adventure rock begin. <laughs> wow. All right. That's awesome. I'm going to read from this website every time. <laughs> That's great. All right. Uh, cancer love horoscope. So if you're a cancer, here's your love horoscope. Uh, single cancer natives will find a partner in the first day of the week, and you will feel expressing the emotion. However, consider every factor before you make the final call. Some relationships will bring fortune into your life, while some may have disastrous results. <laughs> the chance of you falling for a person at first sight is possible this week. However, wait a few days to propose (laughs) always wait a few days (laughs) the second part of the week may not be productive in terms of love and minor frictions may happen Mm. so love is good early in the week but uh, then fades Hmm. nearing the weekend usually goes the opposite way you know you have a bad case of the mondays (laughs) yeah (laughs) 
and then uh, things get better. But yeah, no, no, this not this week for cancer. Things are upside down. Yeah. And uh, to stay away from the uh, taking of the junk foods yep, as well. Take it or leave it. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Uh, so there you go. That's uh, that's the moon phase and horoscope update for the beginning of this episode. Um, normally we would have the mind of the middle schooler, but she is uh, not with us today. She's also uh, quite sick, so it wouldn't work out anyway. Um, she's been getting over a cold mm-hmm. so she's uh, anxious to get back on the show though she wanted me to tell everybody that she she does want to be back uh, on the show and sends her regards to our listening community so that's great um all right uh how you doing jason how's everything doing going right? in your realm yeah things are okay yeah i think there's uh news on the vocational front oh there is uh soon yeah oh, hopefully imminent news yeah i think once uh once the weekdays get here i think the, there should be some processing of paperwork oh that's good this week that's good that's what the lady at the state said oh that's excellent and then how long after that before you get to start seeing clients um then it's just kind of yeah then it's just kind of up to my uh supervisor to figure that out <laughs> i guess oh yeah i don't know if they've been you know, I mean, I, I think there's a wait list, so uh, presumably there could be clients right away. But, right off the bat. Um, nice. Uh, and is it going to be in person, visiting you visiting them or telemedicine? Um, or? I think what? mostly coming to an office. Yeah. yeah. You're going to have an office? What they do. Well, they'll give me like room probably i don't know if it'll, it'll be like my office does it have a mop sink in it jason <laughs> <laughs> yeah i have i have this other master's degree just to do janitorial services <laughs> no i meant is that the only room they have oh, left yeah. to give you yeah. you know, don't mind the ammonia smell it's, yeah because i mean it's good for your mental health yeah if you if if they just needed a janitor you could have already been working oh uh, yeah right? that's true yeah <laughs> don't need a permit for that yeah yeah <laughs> Although in certain places, I bet you do. It's a you know? yield mop. Yeah. <laughs> Wield. <laughs> the mop wielding <laughs> permit. Yeah. Uh, that's great. Yeah. Uh, that's nice, though, that, yeah. you know, they're going to kind of set you right up and get you off and running with that. Yeah. Should be pretty busy as the, uh, you know, holiday season. Comes. Ah, yes. <laughs> busy time for mental health. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's dark, you know, uh, more than half of the day. It's cold. Yeah. Families. Yes. Getting yeah. families together. A lot of yeah. good, good stuff to yeah. chew on. So we, we <laughs> celebrated our family Christmas this past yeah. weekend yeah. because uh, in order to get a jump on the holiday season when everybody's free, we do it the weekend after Thanksgiving up at uh, our mom's house. Yeah. And uh, didn't you get a book about some sort of family systems or something? I, I think did, I remember yeah. looking across yeah. and... Well, mom asks, you know, one thing you'll read and yeah. like, well, you know... I would, probably wouldn't buy this myself because <laughs> it doesn't sound like any fun. But maybe if somebody else buys it, I'll kind of feel like reading it. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good way to do it. Yeah. I don't want to waste money on this. But <laughs> I'll waste a gift on it. <laughs> yeah. I always forget to fill those things. I get it. Like it comes in the email, you know, uh-huh. the list that mom sends out and I'm, I see it and I'm like, oh, good. Yeah. I'll do that when I have a few minutes. And then like the few minutes never seem to arrive. Mm-hmm. Because I go through my email like in a mad dash to get everything done before I have to go to the next thing. And 
So it's still in the inbox. I could still send it to her. <laughs> this is what I would have liked you to have yeah. gotten me. <laughs> Just uh, as like a review. Of, yeah. Um, we can let her know, like, yeah, send it. Let her know throughout the next year if you purchase any of those things. And then, yeah. If you haven't, then she's all set. Right, right. Yeah, that's a good idea. I could just tell her to take it off the list. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it was a fun weekend. Had it a was, good time. Yeah. Lots, yeah. Of, lots of uh, tabletop gaming, which is one mm-hmm. of the things we, we enjoy when the family's together. So that was really fun. Yeah, I think all of us yeah. would like to do it more. It's mm-hmm. like at our own homes or together, but mm-hmm. none of that really happens. I know. It's, it's I hard know. to like. It's so funny. Like yeah. that one game we were playing, it was like, because it has a computer app and I can uh-huh. look at the last time that I had opened it or played a game. And it was like, you know, 10, 11 months ago. Right. So it's just, you never, you always have these intentions of like, ah, oh, I have mm-hmm. all these fun games. Let's play them. And then you yeah. just never have an occasion to get them out. So, so the family has tasked me with being the organizer of the, <laughs> of the sibling and spouses game nights. So yep. I, I'm yet another thing I have to be the director mm-hmm. of. But that's okay. It'll be fun. Well, you don't have to return an email. That's true. I just put it out there. Yeah. I'm just going to put out dates, and mm-hmm. then I'm going to play games on those dates. <laughs> if nobody <laughs> comes to play with me, I'll play them by myself. <laughs> so that'll be... But it'll be fun. I think we can find... Yeah. And I was talking with uh, our our sister and her husband a little bit, and, um, kind of figuring out like a day of the week that might work for them. Oh, so, okay. So nice. maybe... We'll just throw some dates out there and get it together. Maybe we can even get in one before Christmas. We'll see. Cool. Yeah. We can keep the running tally of who's winning these games uh, mm-hmm. on the podcast in case anybody cares. <laughs> but, yeah, it's that busy season uh, for, you know, ministry, too. Yep. The Advent is always busy. So it's the run right to right to Advent and Christmas. Mm-hmm. Um and then it slows down dramatically until uh, Easter, Holy Week, kick up again. Lent gets a little bit more busy, but not as bad. That's no. usually in the early spring. But but yeah, uh, things are cruising there. And um, the brewery is also, this is also a busy season for the brewery. We, uh, I have to try to see a lot of accounts this time of year. Mm-hmm. Just to say, you know, all the end of the year thank yous. And I try to, sure. I try to deliver like a holiday card to all of our best accounts in person, you know, and just, oh, yeah. cause it just, it goes a long ways with those accounts. If I show up in person to say, say hi and thank you. And a lot of them I see pretty regularly. So, but it's just, you know, it's a good opportunity to like have a, have an excuse to go and talk to people and mm-hmm. see them and say hi and all that. And they usually appreciate it. So that's what I'll be doing over the next, it'll be like Santa Claus <laughs> driving around with my cards and handing them out people. That's yeah. nice. People don't get cards and letters really anymore. So yeah, especially hand delivered. You yeah. know, it comes in the mail and you open it up. And mm-hmm. Whatever, maybe a Christmas cards. At, at, right. But you don't. Yeah. Oh, I think I might be getting a couple Christmas cards. I had a couple of people ask me for my address. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited. Yeah. Yeah. Our aunt, you know, texted me this past weekend. A good weekend for Christmas card time. You know. So sure. Who knows? I'll hang some up over the over the studio door here. Yeah, you'll put it in the studio. Uh, I don't know. As you can tell, I'm excellent at decorating. (laughs) I can tell. In fact, all the gifts you give me are things to decorate with. (laughs) You're like, let me help you out here, bro. Do my part. Yeah. 
yeah, I got it. I get yeah. The chakra map one is pretty cool. I have to learn yeah. more about that. You gave me. A I didn't sh- know much about that. You gave me so a chakra I map. I was hoping it was a real thing. Image. <laughs> It's very cool. I'm going to have to look it up and learn. I'll, maybe I'll do an episode. And I like the the, the blue colored bird because you're also a Blue Jays fan. So I. Oh, nice. I like nice. The, and I'm most of the time feeling blue because <laughs> I'm a four. So. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. So that's perfect. Very yeah. moody. Thank you. Yeah. So I, I think the. Yeah. I do when I'm practice meditation here, I do it in the other room. So I think I'll put the chakra map in there. Nice. Yeah, that might be good. Yeah. So cool um all right do we have any listener communications anything on the socials that uh, uh i don't know if we had nope not really all right <laughs> <laughs> and uh, no <laughs> all right um well that's that then i guess uh <laughs> might as well drink beer huh yeah all right Is it over it's there in the cooler know? yeah yep i went we're working on compiling a uh, a master beer list so that we have uh, so we have all of the beers that we've ever consumed in in our catalog so so we can reference them because we're getting to the point now where when we go to the store before the show one of us is texting the other did we do this beer or not <laughs> I can't remember it's like because there's like so many different versions of them like this one we did another version of this beer earlier but I don't think we did this one. Um, so I'm hoping that, that we got this right uh, because this is a very this is a very special beer in in our family because this is what Grandpa Faye drank. I don't know if you remember that or not. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, I don't know Screwing why the cap back on. Or yeah, he screw the cap back on and put it in the fridge and get <laughs> after it the next day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, nice and flat. And, yeah. <laughs> flat and oxidizing okay it's still good (laughs) still beery yeah yeah uh so yeah we got molson golden molson golden so i don't know what the difference is um uh especially brewed for the unique flavor of an ale and a lager so i wonder if it's um uh i wonder if it's more like a cream ale oh maybe yeah so like you know cream ale is usually like it's usually fermented with a specialized hybrid yeast that can mm-hmm. ferment at temperatures kind of in between lager and ales. Or sometimes you do a, like an ale yeast, but at lager temperatures, you know, mm-hmm. things like that. Or you might ferment a lager a little warmer. There's different ways to get after it. But right. uh, I wonder what the occasion is that causes them to be able to do that. So I don't know. But mm-hmm. Molson Golden, because we, we did Molson Canadian. Okay, is that what we did? That was the one. Okay. That was the Molson that we did for sure. That's the one with like it's just a red and white can and it's yeah. got the maple leaf on it. This right. also has the maple leaf, but it's got like a we've got it in bottles, which is great. Green bottles, gold label, uh, and then like a nice like deep amber mm-hmm. uh, maple leaf on there. Molson Golden Premium Beer, and then it's uh, there's some French underneath there, which I'm not gonna attempt because my pronunciation is yeah I don't know how to pronounce suspect. French. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, so a lot of uh, a lot of vowels. Yes, and uh, yeah. Uh, all right, so Molson Golden. Let's try it out. Did you ever have one with Grandpa? He Never did. S- no. Snuck you one? He didn't. No, he was not. Uh, and of course, you know, after he'd left it open in the fridge for three days with the cap yeah, screwed back on. <laughs> not very. Uh, I wasn't like I wasn't. I wasn't 
excited about it. Sometimes he wouldn't even put the cap back on. He'd just take a cup upside down cup and, and put it. Yeah, that's right. And yeah. Stick it in there with like a plastic cup over it. Well, at least <laughs> a bug won't fly into it or something. <laughs> oh, Grandpa Flay. All right. So, yeah, it is. Uh, it's a little bit darker than some of the other light beers we've done. A little bit more of a of an amberish, not not really amberish, but just like a golden yellow instead of a, a pale mm-hmm. yellow. Well, they don't call it Molson yellow. No, no, I guess not. <laughs> I guess they do call it golden. It is, <laughs> it is kind of golden, um, yeah. and it's got a very thin um, layer of foam on the top. Nothing too much, and then uh, it's the bubbles are kind of fading pretty quickly, uh, but it does have some nice. Uh, bubbles coming up from the bottom of the glass, so that's that's good. It's nice looking beer. Yeah, it looks good. What do you think of the aroma? Mm-hmm. Oh, I just stuck my nose in it. <laughs> Get a little over overzealous sometimes. I mean, nothing really special about the aroma, I guess. Yeah, S- uh, smells a little bit sweeter, and actually tastes a little bit sweeter too. You hear that? It's not mm-hmm. very, not very crisp, not very crisp in the finish. No, yeah, smooth mouthfeel. Yeah, very, yeah, very smooth and yeah, not uh, not a whole lot of hop bitterness at all. Mm-hmm. all right, just not even not even really enough to like balance even say it's there. Yeah, which is probably what they're going for with this like hybrid lager idea. Yeah, you know, I've maybe never, trying to. No one's ever said that like. So, um, specifically, I guess, mm-hmm. flavor of an ale and a lager. I've yeah. I've never seen that on any other beer label before. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it is, I mean, it's got the, yeah, it's got like the, the cereal character of a, of a good clean lager, but the finish lingers a little mm-hmm. bit more than a typical lager would, which is more like a golden ale, mm-hmm. you know, like if you're going to drink a, you know, the, the style is like often referred to as the California common, mm-hmm. uh, which is an early like craft beer style, just the common ale, which right. is just yellow ale uh, or light, light amber colored ale. Those that, with the ale yeast, you tend to get a little bit more of the residual sweetness kind of hanging, mm-hmm. you know, some more of the yeast flavor kind of hanging in there too. Um, but this is. And whereas a lager will be finished clean and dry and not leave anything lingering on your palate. Um, but this is not, it's somewhere in between. They, yeah. Hmm. Power of suggestion, maybe. Perhaps. <laughs> they yeah. just read it and then it's like, yeah, okay. Or you just get what they're saying. I think I'm, uh, my experience with this beer has mostly been smelling it oxidized. Right? <laughs> right? Is that the word? Yeah. Yeah. Um, the light gets into the green bottle and mm-hmm. just kind of, I remember smelling it, mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> you know, in the barn. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, that, what's there, a skunk around? But Yeah, yeah. And oxidized beer also starts to get this like, you know, wet cardboard, mm. you know, like, or like a dusty warehouse or a you know, think of a, <laughs> when you're at the fair, and all things you don't want to drink. It's a rainy day, and the goats are wet, and you smell them. <laughs> Is that ever? Oh uh, yeah, wet goat. Yeah, 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 the old wet goat smell. Yeah, you know, get those goats in the barn. Yeah, seriously. Keep yeah. your lesson here is just keep your goats dry. Yeah, you know, because yeah. they stink when they're wet. 
As do most animals. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, wet dog, uh-huh. uh, wet goat. Yeah. yeah. I don't know wet cat because cats don't really like to get wet. They hate that, don't they? Yeah, so. <laughs> I've never seen a wet cat, really. Although, actually, we, yeah, the cat was uh, accidentally in a, our first apartment was accidentally left out in the rain. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, he liked to go on this little balcony we had yeah it was all like you know fenced in and stuff so he could just he was like up on bird level yeah second oh, floor perfect. so he loved yeah. it um and then we like shut the door once to like we had to shut that door to open like a pantry door mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. just the way the the layout yes. went and uh and then that door never got opened and then we were like where's the cat <laughs> <laughs> he was out there in the rain yeah yeah, cats don't like getting wet, and they look horrific when they're wet. Oh yeah, because they look like three times smaller than they are. So, <laughs> but their head isn't any smaller. <laughs> so they're like, "This is gross." Your head what? grew outside, yes. yeah. like what a chia pet. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a, it's like a, yeah. All of a sudden, there's a cat face attached to a soggy fajita <laughs> with a tail. <laughs> like, what is this thing running around? <laughs> yeah. What's the difference between a fajita and a burrito, anyway? And a taco. Burritos, tacos, fajitas. Well, tacos are, like, not closed, right? Usually. Yeah. Yep. Kind of be open. Right, right. With all the stuff. Okay. Um, And then a burrito? Burrito. I don't, yeah, burrito and fajita is a more difficult distinction. Yeah. Uh, Is it, like... The stuff that goes in it, because fajitas often have like yeah. peppers and onions and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Or a burrito, I don't know. Might have that stuff. But. Uh, somebody, I think I remember somebody telling me once that a burrito has rice. Oh, it's got a lot of rice in there, whereas some, something else wouldn't. I don't, I don't know. You can't have rice in a fajita. Maybe not. Then all of a sudden it becomes a burrito. Right. Fajitas are also like usually like sizzling. Right, when they come to you? Yeah, the innards are. Then you make them yourself. Oh, yeah. Right? They're served deconstructed. Right. It's a deconstructed burrito. Yeah, yeah. If somebody Without rice. If somebody puts it together, it's a burrito. If they <laughs> yeah. give it to you in pieces, it's a fajita. <laughs> We've solved it. All right, there you go. One is a kit, and the other one <laughs> just bolts right on. Yeah. Dep- yeah, it depends on how hungry you are, what you should order. Do you yeah. want to do some work before yeah, you yeah, eat? Or? Exactly. Do I want to earn this? How many calories have I already burned today? Okay. I did some stuff. Good. Burrito. <laughs> <laughs> I got to earn this. Fajita. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. There you go. Uh, yes. We have now given you a wealth of information on uh, what very little we know about Mexican food. You ask and we provide. Nobody asked. That. Oh. <laughs> I must have. I asked. That must have been the voices in my head. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and you're going to be the counselor. Uh, this is great. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yep. Those lucky people. <laughs> so lucky. Uh, all right. Um, I guess that's everything for the intro of episode number 49. Uh, I guess we'll take a short break and come back with the main burrito. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you've put it all together yeah. uh, before, so it's yes, not it's a all, fajita. It's all wrapped up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, these guys have to just eat it. No. <laughs> <laughs> all 
All right, we'll be, take a short break and we'll be right back. Welcome back to the Music of the Spheres podcast, episode number 49. We're beginning segment two, which is the presentation segment. But first, Jason has uh, some news updates on, uh, you're going to clarify a little bit about what we were talking about before, with mm-hmm. burritos and fajitas. Oh. Well, you astutely asked, I, th- I think. <laughs> Does uh, What did you call me? <laughs> a donkey. <laughs> Something about a donkey. Um uh, does because uh, donkey Spanish uh, word for donkey is a, a burro. Right? Yeah, mm-hmm. I think I rolled my R correctly. Yeah, and uh, you said well, that sounds a lot like burrito. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's like is that like a little donkey? Yeah, and that's really that is what it means. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, and the story goes: there's a there's a guy who had a like a food cart pulled by a donkey. And in his food cart, he would make the little donkey. Yeah. Burrito. Yeah. See, food trucks have been around forever. <laughs> yeah. That's... Um, and then fajita is uh, kind of like a, a loose translation is like little strips, which is why. Yeah. Okay. You get the... And, and they said the meat is marinated with those. Oh, okay. And, you know, veggies. Uh-huh. Um, usually peppers and onions, like we, we were saying. Yeah, okay. A lot so, of our knowledge was confirmed. Yes. Actually. It was fairly close. Yeah. Close enough to be slightly wrong, but not completely. Right. Close enough to be like, <laughs> we're smart enough yeah. for something. <laughs> we're smart enough to podcast unprofessionally. <laughs> that's what we're smart enough to do. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's great. With that, we join the masses. Yes. <laughs> Everybody owns a brewery and a podcast. Yeah, just like regular Joe over here. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. As a four, that must really be. Yeah, I know. It drives me crazy. Out. Yeah. So, uh, all these original ideas, so everybody else crowd, is doing. Yeah. 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 Next, I'm going to get a food truck. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, all right. So, um, we're jumping back into the book, A Burst of Conscious Light by Dr. Andrew Silverman. We're talking about the topic of the Shroud of Turin, um, or as he calls it, the Turin Shroud. He just has to be different. Uh, <laughs> but uh, we gave some some uh, basics in the, in the uh, last of my episodes on this topic, which is episode 49, where we introduced the topic. And I, I essentially gave his, you know, his arguments for why this really just needs to be studied further mm-hmm. uh, because uh, even even modern science can't explain how the image appears on the fabric. Uh, and then the debunking that has been done t- on this particular artifact uh, ha- is questionable that in its validity as far as the carbon dating that quote-unquote said that it was a fake. Mm-hmm. Um and so because of that, he's, which I, what is what I really like about this book is he's not really coming down, you know, 
he's not writing it from a perspective of you know a somebody who's working for the Vatican or something like that, you know? Yeah. Like, a lot of times, like, I've been doing some other, like, extraneous research on this, watching YouTube videos and things, and so many times it's a guy with a collar on who's given the presentation about why the Shroud is is real. And by collar, I mean re- religious collar. Like, right. he's a, a priest or holds a position somehow in the church, you know, even if he is in science or whatever. But it always has that air of, like, okay, just trying to prove something on their side, right? Mm-hmm. Which, as we know, you can always you can always bend things to get them get right. get data to say what you want it to say. Yep. Uh, so that's what I really like about Dr. Andrew Silverman is he's approaching it from a totally different perspective, which we're going to find out a little bit more about in these next couple of chapters that we're going to look at today. He's really into this idea that he thinks artificial intelligence and advancing, you know, uh, our desires to use ai to uh perpetuate human consciousness mm-hmm. is dangerous and he doesn't think we should be doing it so that's kind of where he's you know where his a lot of his background lies yeah so that's very interesting uh but anyway our most recent episode we kind of laid out some of the some of the data around what they've actually researched as far as the image on the cloth uh and and the characteristics of it scientifically and then various possible explanations of what it might be. Uh, Ultimately it's uh, oxidation on the fabric caused by exposure to uh, something most likely like ultraviolet radiation, Mm -hmm. incredibly intense, but very, very short. So very brief, uh, but very intense to the point where it wouldn't burn up the fabric for any longer duration, but short enough that it was able to, you know, project the image powerful enough that it was able to project the image, but short enough that it didn't burn up the fabric. That's generally the theory. Mm-hmm. If you look at it and compare it to what UV oxidation or UV caused oxidation would look like. So that's the basis, but, Given that, nobody knows how you would do that, especially how you would do that in the 13th century, which is when they say, you know, from the debunking effort that mm-hmm. it was created. Right? So nobody painted it. It's not dyes. Uh, and yeah, so that just kind of leaves you with, well, then what is this thing? Right. You know, every now and then throughout history, there's uh, there's artifacts that are found that either shouldn't be in the place they are called like out of place artifacts o o p s out of place artifacts mm-hmm. um or you have things that you can't explain in any other way right and we oftentimes just say oh that's just a false or a fake or something right. or a hoax but yeah but you can't say that and then say but i also don't know how they did it or how it came yeah. to be where it is right. yeah. you know it's it's one thing if you want to hold the skeptical position but then I think in that case, you have to say, well, then I believe that this is what happened. You know, mm-hmm. you can't just say, oh, it's because because the standard narrative that we've been given doesn't fit with that. I don't believe it. No. They, if something else is there, we got to change the standard narrative is really mm-hmm. kind of what he's saying, what Dr. Andrew Silverman's saying and what I think as well. So it's interesting in that way. Um, all right. So this week. We're not really going to talk about the shroud very much at all. I was telling you before we started that it's a good thing we're <laughs> broadcasting a little bit earlier in the day today than our normal episode time because <laughs> this 
going to get into some pretty thick weeds here. All right. Um, because what he's really trying to do is take us down a, a philosophical road that will allow us to get to a place of understanding what he's really trying to say in later chapters. Uh, okay. So he's, he's, it's a lot of laying groundwork. So he's not going to talk a lot about the Shroud. He's going to talk about things like um, consciousness and free will. He's going to talk about things like um, matter and mind and the mm-hmm. interaction between the two. And he's going to talk about this idea of, of how time functions uh, and what that might teach us about those other things. Um, so there are a couple of things he gets into about talking about the shroud, but, but he's got to kind of lay some of this groundwork first. Okay. So we begin with this question of, um, he starts off with this question. Do you believe that you have the power of mind over matter? Uh, now, a lot of times people would say, uh, yes, to a degree, but with limitation, right? Mm-hmm. You know, like I have the power of mind over matter, you know, that I can, if I think long enough about, you know, that I, that I have like an ache in my knee, <laughs> then I'll right, develop yeah. that ache in my knee, mind over matter. You know, I, I thought about it. This happens anytime somebody says, anytime anyone near you says they have like, they're feeling like nausea <laughs> and their stomach turns, yeah, you know, right. yeah. and then you automatically are like, oh yeah, maybe me a little bit too. <laughs> and the more you think about it, you're like, oh yeah, this is good. And then they say like, oh, I think I'm going to throw up. You're like, oh yeah, me too. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like this mind over matter, we often say in scenarios like that, mm-hmm. but he's talking about like the the big idea of like, do, can you control matter with your mind? Okay. You know, like the, the big picture. And he says most of the time people would say no, right. That I can't control matter with my mind. Um, but then uh, he gets into this idea of free will. So he's going to take the argument back to free will. And he said, uh, do you believe you're responsible for your actions? Uh, if you are responsible for mm-hmm. your actions, then that means you have a choice in the matter. I could do A or B. You know, right. one being a positive, you know, one being a negative. I could do the good thing or the bad thing, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, I could do A or B. I choose one or the other. Right? It means that I have the choice to do it. Right? So... Um, so he's saying uh, that just that idea of recognizing that you are responsible for your actions is a tacit understanding that we have free will within us. Um, so that's the first thing. Um, it clearly seems to us as human beings that we can act freely. Uh, if that is the case, then our minds make choices that influence what our bodies do. So our mind is making a choice. Mm-hmm. I choose to pick up my Molson Golden and therefore, sure. you know, now that's mind over matter, right? Like this Molson Golden bottle is floating in the studio. <laughs> it's attached to my hand, right? But it's my mind that's doing that, right? right. <laughs> Which is actually kind of a cool way to think about it. Because mm-hmm. I don't, you know, we don't usually think about that. We tend to think of like nuts and bolts all the time. Like we're just physical bodies that do stuff. Mm-hmm. But that's where his whole argument is going is... You know, he's really starting to ask this question uh, of, so where is this, where is this mind, right? Um, and uh, he's got a quote here from uh, from Schrodinger again, which we've we've been using a little bit. Um, and he says this. Schrodinger says this. My body functions as a pure mechanism according to the laws of nature. Yet I know by incontrovertible direct experience that I am directing its motions. 
of which I foresee the effects that may be fateful and all-important, in which case I feel and take full responsibility for them. The only possible inference from these two facts is, I think that I, I in the widest meaning of the word, that is to say, every conscious mind that has ever said or felt I, I am the person, if any, who controls the motion of atoms, according to the laws of nature. (laughs) So we really literally control the movement of atoms. All of the atoms that are a part of our body, Mm -hmm. we control those movements. We control those motions. The same thing with the glass of beer. I control the motions of that glass as I pick it up. Um, So uh, he says that sentience itself could be evidence indicating the freedom of our will. Um, because he says that sentience is, uh, could be seen metaphorically as the space within which ideas, perceptions, experiences, emotions, and so on exist. All right. So he's trying to like define this place. Um, where is this awareness of sentience, this thinking, feeling part of ourselves? Where does it actually exist? Mm Mm-hmm. Here's another, um, here's another quote that he has, uh, or the, I'm quoting him. The fact of your being aware, whatever you are aware of, demonstrates that you as a human being are greater in potential than the entire physical universe. Matter follows physical law, but as you have awareness, I would suggest that you can choose between options and therefore have free will, right? What he's saying is that matter itself doesn't have free will. Matter, matter just follows physical laws. Mm-hmm. It has to function that way. But our free will is what, when we make a choice, influences the matter. Mm-hmm. And people, you know, we generally don't think that, if, if, especially in the materialistic right. worldview, if we think that, that our awareness and our sentience, our state of Uh, I am our consciousness is just generated by our brain and Mm -hmm. the matter in our brain then it you know we're just then we're just machines essentially right Um, then he's going to talk about quantum mechanics so I had to read this part (laughs) (laughs) if the implications of quantum mechanics about the nature of reality are considered then physicality itself is a derivative of consciousness that's going back to the understanding of of quanta and that it is re- it's reliant on the observer to determine its state. Mm-hmm. Right? If you observe it, it becomes one state. If you're not observing it, it's something quite different. And so it relies on the observer. So the observer has to be present for the matter mm-hmm. to actually coalesce, which is really a very interesting thing. Uh, so then he's going to talk about uh, this idea that uh, computers uh, process information, mm-hmm. right? So you punch in a uh, a calculation into a computer. The program, whatever program you're running, does whatever you know computations it's supposed to do, and it spits out a result. That's how a computer works. I mean, a calculator is a very simple example of that. You punch in a math thing, and it pops out an answer. It's just programmed to do that. And but computers are you know vastly more complex than just calculators and but it's still the same idea mm-hmm. information in processing takes place information out right um 
so he's saying that that's the way that a lot of people view the human brain that it is a you know computer and if people place the mind of an individual as being sourced from the matter of the brain then we tend to think of our consciousness as just pumping out you know receiving stimulus computing it and then putting mm-hmm. out a response right um so he gets in this idea of um he he uses the example of a of a camera um because if he says if people say that consciousness is just um processing information about oneself mm-hmm. right if that's what consciousness is he would say that all you have to do to make a camera conscious is to put it in front of a mirror <laughs> Right and and a video camera and run it and put it in front of a mirror. Now it's processing information mm-hmm. about itself. Yeah. Right. So his argument is then okay. So are you going to say that this camera is now conscious? Right. If you would, okay, maybe you're just firmly in that materialist worldview. But right. what he's saying is it, it's you know clearly it must take more for consciousness to exist. Is the camera really aware of itself? You know, watching itself in the mirror, or is it just yeah. recording data? You know, and it happens to be itself is in there, right? Um, so uh, he says this, I would always contend that the point about consciousness is that it cannot be made of information, nor can it be a property of the processing of that information as its fundamental nature relates instead to the capacity to be aware of information rather than to the contents of that awareness. Right, it's more about, and I wrote in my notes on the side of the book here. I wrote it's more about experience, like it's an experiential thing. You know, I experience myself. I can think about myself thinking. Mm-hmm. Right, I can think about thinking about something. You know, right. and I can think about myself processing information to the point where I can change how I choose to process information. Mm-hmm. You know, I could choose to process information in a different way, faster or slower, or f- through a different worldview or a different idea you know, ideal structure, right? So experience is what, um, he says, uh, processing information merely rearranges or changes information, but it does not invoke a mind that experiences the information. The camera isn't experiencing the information when it's recording itself in a mirror. It's just processing the information. So that's a big, that's a big difference, right? So, uh, and then from that, he's going to, let's see, where are we going to go next? Um, all right. So uh, he's going to start to ask the question of, of where actually is this mind? He's got a quote here from Descartes, which we've already talked about on the show. Oh, Descartes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, long, yeah. Throw it back. Yes. Way uh, long ago. Yes. Uh, co- uh, cogito ergo sum, right? That is, I think, therefore I am. Uh Dr. Andrew Silverman is going to switch that around a little bit, say, I experience awareness, therefore I exist. I exist, therefore I can choose. Um, So what he's saying is the choosing is really this state that he calls primary causation, that everything else, like the laws of nature, are all just responding to each other. The way that, mm-hmm. you know, you think about cooking, right? When you, or baking, the way that the different ingredients interact with each other, that's all based on the laws of physics, 
and the laws of nature and how they interact. And so you can repeat a recipe and it comes out the same way every time because those laws of nature are there. Right. Right. Um, so that's just that's just secondary causation because everything is secondary to the laws of nature. But my consciousness and my awareness is a primary cause because it can influence things in that natural realm. Mm-hmm. You know, I can choose to make the cookies, right? right? Or I can choose to change the recipe, right? And yeah. add something to my cookies, you know, and they, you know, then I add an ingredient that wasn't in the recipe, but now I've got a different kind of cookie, right? So yeah. you can make that. So the primary, primary causation. Um, so he's saying, where is this? Where is the primary causation? If we have this primary causation, where does it function? Um, so he says, uh, Yeah, um, so we're going to get to uh, Schrodinger again uh, in his book called What is Life? Um, and he writes this, I venture to call it, and he's talking about the mind, I venture to, I venture to call the mind indestructible since it has a peculiar timetable, namely mind is always now. This means a liberation from the, tyranny of old chronos what we in our minds construct ourselves which is time cannot so i feel have dictatorial power over our mind neither the power of bringing it to the fore nor the power of annihilating it so essentially if you caught that what schrodinger said was time can't even encapsulate the mind because the mind is always in the now the mind isn't in the past or the future. Mm-hmm. It's just in the now, in this weird thing that we call the present moment. And because of that, he says, time neither has the power of bringing it to the fore nor the power of annihilating the mind. And so, if he was right, says Silverman, mm-hmm. then that would mean that sentience's, sentience is not ended by physical death. So he's making the argument that consciousness doesn't end when the body dies. That's really what he's saying. Okay. He's using, but he's coming to it not from, you know, not from religious places. He's mm-hmm. coming to it from from the philosophical realm, uh, saying, "All right, philosophy." When we look at what Schrodinger's talking about, saying because the mind is present in the now, it means that it's not connected to time, so that it tie, time can't start it or end it. And if that hadn't have a start or an end, then it's eternal. Right. Consciousness is just forever. So that means that it doesn't exist in this place, right? Um, so he's going to get into this idea. Uh, he talks about this book, What is Life by Schrodinger? And he, he comes to three uh, essential points that he brings out of this work that he uses for his argument. Okay. The first of the three points that Schrodinger made was that the empirical scientific worldview that's the one that's based we talked about this i think last time empirical science base is based on the observable universe what can we observe what can we observe and therefore measure Mm -hmm. if we observe it measure it and repeat it now it's you know proven science right he says that the empirical scientific worldview does not include the mind or perception it is therefore a worldview in which we all as sentient beings whether scientists or not are absent right because we view like think about it right like you if, if you're reading a scientific you know um 
document on something or watching something, right? It never talks about the observer's like feelings in it. Now, maybe in this in the science that you do, right, or that you've been involved in, mm-hmm. given that you're more about the science of the mind and the self and what that being is, but but sort of the empirical like nuts and bolts science is is not going to take into account the observer's role in what's happening, mm-hmm. right? You just measure it data points and show results and move on from there and create a theory right so that's what he's saying is that it's it's not a complete worldview because it doesn't incorporate the mind and the perception mm-hmm. of the observer so it okay. takes us all out of it and if it takes us all out of it what's the point of even observing it right because we're the only place that it's experienced right? yeah <laughs> right the yeah. the keyboard behind you doesn't experience itself we experience it when we sit down and play it uh-huh. you know it's an experience that we have right it doesn't experience itself Mm-hmm. Just like the camera doesn't experience itself when it's recording in a mirror. Right. Right, the second point made by Schrodinger in his book called What His Life, which I want to read that book now. <laughs> <laughs> um, the second point uh, is that our direct experience as sentient human beings supports the notion of free will, which in turn implies that the mind can influence matter. Well, because of free will, because of being primary causers, we then, through our minds, influence matter. Mm-hmm. Right? Then the third point is that time itself is a property of mind. And as such, Schrodinger argued, mind must be eternal without beginning or end. Because time is a property of the mind. <laughs> we, Our own mind creates this flow of time that revolves around the present. But that's all just created by this uh, primary cause this uh, consciousness mm-hmm. so um so uh silverman kind of summarizes this whole idea if i am right then all perception whether or not physical senses are involved is extrasensory perception also if our actions are at any extent influenced by our choices made through free will then a strong case could be made that they represent the effect of mind over matter Really what he's trying to do, and you, you heard it in the beginning of the book, he's trying to uh, make the case that just because something like the Shroud of Turin or any other thing mm-hmm. that you encounter in our you know, human existence, just because it's outside of what we think is normal, quote unquote, doesn't mean that it shouldn't be you know, studied and, and um, uh, investigated more deeply. Right. right. Just because it's like everybody is so close to come down on one side or the other religious i believe it by faith alone and not anything else and i'm not going to investigate it at all it's just faith that's real that's you know that was on jesus when he died <laughs> and, you know. mm-hmm. oh, and then the other people say it's clearly a hoax because that kind of stuff just doesn't happen you know like he's saying both are wrong he's saying both are that you know there's this like we talk about all the time here there's mm-hmm. always a third way right which yep. we're, we're going to get to in a minute um, all right, so then he's going to talk for a moment about um, materialism versus dualism, and this is going to be a segue into what I was just mentioning. Um, he says there's these, basically these two worldviews. The first is the materialist view that mind is merely an emergent phenomenon that arises out of a certain arrangement of atoms that form brain cells in a particular juxtaposition and network. Um, so it's just comes from the actual atoms that are in our gray matter in our mm-hmm. brain. That's where the sense of me is, is just in those atoms somewhere, 
right? Within this view, sentience is merely an onlooker that has no role in determining our actions, and free will is an illusion. Because now then we're just, we are just completely participating in the laws of physics because mm -hmm. our sense of being me or I or thinking or feeling or whatever, it's just res a response to the laws of physics around us. Right. The second is the dualist view that mind and matter are fundamentally distinct and separate, but that mind is able to influence matter through some as yet unexplained mechanism. Right. So that here he's saying, you know, matter and mind are completely separate from one another. There's no connection whatsoever, but because we know that I can think about lifting this bottle of beer and then lift it, then I, my mind must have some influence over matter, but we don't understand it. So that's the, that's the second view he calls a dualist worldview because there's two things there, one influencing the other. Mm -hmm. He says this, what if there were a third way? Could mind and matter be part of a continuum? Mm. There's, you know, like the space-time continuum, right? Are space and time really all that different? Right. You know, we tend to think of them as two separate things completely. But the more you investigate it, the more you realize they are not quite as distant, mm -hmm. separated as you would think. Right. Um, so then he gets into this interesting thing. Uh, uh, theoretical quantum physicist Richard Feynman famously implied in his series of lectures uh, called The Character of Physical Law that all physics has done so far is to describe what matter does mathematically. But it hasn't revealed fundamentally what matter, space, and time actually are or why they interact as they do. It's just so fascinating, right? Like hmm. all the, all this science of, of the physical world, physics and, and the understanding of, it's all just a description of how things work. It's hmm. not a description of what they are and why they are. It's yeah. just a description of how they function, <laughs> which you never think about that. You always think about, oh, yeah, they, they know so much about physics, and we do. But when you look at what we know, it's all about how it all interacts. Right. Nothing says what it actually is. And that's, those are like the biggest mis mysteries in physics, is, and they, they call it dark matter and dark energy. <laughs> like, yeah, we actually don't know what it is. We'll, we'll just call it dark matter <laughs> and dark energy because right. it's you know some unseen thing that we don't understand, so it's dark. Uh, so then that's where he gets into his, um, his idea of the dangers of AI. Um, and because what he's saying is that it's, he's saying it's detrimental to people for them to believe that their consciousness could be uploaded onto a computer. Because he's saying, in essence, you're then reducing your whole being yeah. to something that could just be computed within physical law. And he says, you're bigger than that. You're more than that. And you can't upload yourself to a computer because you're not made of stuff that goes on a computer. You know, he says right. your actual fundamental being, your primary causality, your sense of sentience, your I am mm -hmm. is something totally different. So he tells here, he exposes why he's writing this book. This is the motivation for this book. Not a call to arms, but a call to hearts. Look around and see how you feel about those you love. And you will see that we must not allow you and them to become redundant and planet Earth to become mankind's tombstone. <laughs> He's talking about if we all try to upload ourselves to computers, then we'll, you know, we'll all just mm -hmm. <laughs> down, essentially download ourselves into the, you know, into the physical realm. 
So that's why he's you know getting after this topic. So now we're going to get into the discussion of of what is um, matter. He goes into this whole thing about holding the book in your hand and like what's actually happening and like on the on the physics perspective. Okay. Um, but what he really boils it down to is he says this: your visual and tactile experience of this book derives ultimately from four types of material interaction, and these are the four forces, the four basic forces in physics. Can you name them, Jason? <laughs> <laughs> That's a negative ghostwriter. Uh, <laughs> ghost writing. Uh, electromagnet, uh, electromagnetism. Okay. Right? So electro, the way that, uh, you know, electricity and light and, you know, all that mm-hmm. stuff on the electromagnetic spectrum, the way that interacts. Second one is gravity. Right? So you know that one pretty well. That's <laughs> why you're staying in your yeah. chair. Yeah. <laughs> that and you just had Thanksgiving dinner. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, repeatedly. And then, yeah, and then Christmas. Repeatedly. Uh, celebration, yeah. Yeah. Uh, mom's snack table <laughs> over and <laughs> right, over again, yeah. which yep. self-replenishes every yeah, four hours. I don't know hours. me down more, the gravity. Or, yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of gravity going on. Yeah. <laughs> you hang out there for a while. Um, so those are the first two. Then the, the next two have to do with the way that um, the, the particles work in atoms. So uh, electrons, protons, neutrons, they're, mm-hmm. all, they're all governed by what physics terms the strong nuclear force and the weak okay. nuclear force. And that's how, that's how the atoms are all linked together. So th- those create the atoms, mm-hmm. right? Strong and weak nuclear forces. Uh, and then uh, electromagnetism, uh, it's, that's what's responsible for magnetism, right? Mm-hmm. And so positive, negative charges, right? That's why my hand doesn't go through the book because of magnetism, essentially. You know, negative charge particles, you know, in the atoms that make up my hand, hitting mm-hmm. negative charge particles in the atoms that make up the book. So right. my hand doesn't go through the book, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then, uh, then gravity, of course, which, you know, is on a larger scale, sort of holding, pulling everything together. Mm-hmm. And we, we can imagine that force, right? So those are the forces. Um, <laughs> it is important to realize that this description of the world in terms of matter or its interactions is just that, a description. Many people are surprised to hear that it does not explain what matter really is or why it behaves in this way, which is why people have gotten into quantum uh, physics mm-hmm. because you they they got that by looking more deeply at what makes up because you know they keep going smaller well what makes up an electron <laughs> what makes mm-hmm. up an atom you know what makes up the parts of a proton and a, nu- a nucleus of an at you know neutrons and all what makes up those things right um so uh there's a, a Arthur, i'm going to just share with you a handful of quotes now this is from uh sir arthur eddington um what he's saying about physicist's description of matter. And I'm just going to read a part of it. Um, In the world of physics, we watch a shadow graph performance of the drama of familiar life. The shadow of my elbow rests on the shadow table as the shadow ink flows over the shadow paper. It's all symbolic. And as a symbol, and as a symbol, the physicist leaves it. Then comes the alchemist mind who transmutes the symbols. The sparsely spread nuclei of electric force become a tangible solid. Their restless agitation becomes the warmth of summer. The octave of ethereal vibration becomes a gorgeous rainbow. Nor does the alchemy stop here. In the transmuted world, new significances arise, which are scarcely to be traced in the world of symbols, so that it becomes a world of beauty and purpose, and alas, suffering and evil. 
The frank realization that physical science is concerned with a world of shadows is one of the most significant of recent advances. What he's basically saying there is this stuff is all just descriptions of Mm -hmm. the way that all these bits, you know, and they're meaningless on their own until they come to observation. Then it becomes something like a rainbow, right? Which then becomes something like beauty, right? Mm -hmm. Or you think about the way that, you know, wave sound waves interact. They just, they're just, it's just an interaction in the natural world, but it, but it's a human observer that hears it as beautiful music. Right. It says, oh, that's beautiful to me. And it touches my heart and soul. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's all comes down to the observer. It's not just, you know, figuring out what's happening in the physical world. Right. Um, okay. So then we get a quote from who's next? Uh, Lind, Andre Lind. He's a Stanford University physics professor, which I think we already heard from in this series. Will it not turn out with the further development of science that the study of the universe and the study of consciousness will be inseparably linked? And that ultimate progress in the one will be impossible without the other. Will the next important step be the development of a unified approach to our entire world, including the world of consciousness? Right. So he's essentially saying you can't figure out the universe unless you figure out consciousness, because hmm. that's the way that we interact with it it's right. through our yeah, consciousness. Yeah. You know, like that's the only way. All right. Um, then we're going to get into uh, Stephen Hawking. You know, Stephen Hawking, oh, you yeah. know, fantastic physicist mm-hmm. and, and author. And, and um, I'm not going to read his whole quote, um, but I'm going to read this this uh, one interesting one that he has or here. Um, Hawking wrote an interesting comment about the relationship between theoretical physics and the physical universe. Even if there is only one possible unified theory, it is just a set of rules and equations. What is it that breathes fire into the equations and makes a universe for them to describe? The usual approach of science of constructing a mathematical model cannot answer the questions of why there should be a universe for the model to describe. And then check out, I love this this last sentence of his quote. Why does the universe go to all the bother of existing? <laughs> you know, like... Again, you can figure it out with an equation if you come up with a unified theory, but but why is there even a universe there for their theory to be, you know, describing? Right. Um, Then uh, we're going to hear from uh, Freeman Dyson, who is a professor who is uh, a uh, colleague of Albert Einstein. Okay. So uh, Freeman Dyson. It should not be surprising if it should turn out that the origin and destiny of the energy of the universe cannot be completely understood in isolation from the phenomena of life and consciousness. It is conceivable that life may have a larger role to play than we have imagined. Life may have succeeded against all odds in molding the universe to its purposes. So I think that... That uh, life and consciousness and our being is actually what molded the physical universe. Um, And then uh, there's another. um, Oh, yeah. uh, This idea of uh, union versus separation. Oh, and um, we're going to get into the. So uh, a state of union could be independent of space, time, and matter. A state of separation, then, would seem to be virtually synonymous with them. What is space but the separation of points? Uh, 
so what they're talking about is the um, origins of the universe and uh, how it how it sort of came to be out of um, out of this what we talk about as the big bang but this being a, a, we're going to get into it in a minute that this ordered state that required some sort of initial energy mm-hmm. that was there so where did that all come from so then he's going to uh, bump into the topic of reincarnation Uh, I have argued that we have taken on physical bodies as a result of becoming limited and therefore uh, separated from each other by our individual and unique patterns of restriction. If that were so, then it would follow that if the limitation remains, then we might return in another life after we have died because the process of taking on another physical body could repeat itself if we have not resolved the problems that made it happen on the previous occasion. Our identities are determined by what we have made of ourselves. So this is uh, this is a result of the idea by Schrodinger that the mind is eternal and continuous mm-hmm. and that this place that we exist now is this place of separation of these other things. It's not the place of unity. Uh, it's the place of separation of things like time and space, uh, which is a measure of different points. Uh, and that... All of this actually ends up circling around the observer's mind, right, and our our consciousness, and so therefore that must have a huge role uh, to play in this. All right, so he shares um, he shares this little summary here. He does uh, he does a quick little touch on the topic of NDEs, but I'm not going to get into that here because he does a whole chapter on that later. Oh, <laughs> so we're okay. going to get to hear about near-death experiences, uh, which will be pretty cool because we've already covered that topic mm-hmm. a couple of times. Um, so he says this, we have seen that the physical universe is characterized by the separation of points and therefore by space and time, because that's what the separation of points are, space and time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that the singularity from which it emerged represents a pole of initial union from which this began there was an initial unity where there was no separation at all in points uh, but that's where it came that's where it all came from right was this Mm -hmm. place of unity to separation so putting these ideas together one could speculate whether perhaps the physical universe itself could have begun as the result of a choice of sentient beings to experience separation and therefore become separate Matter, space, and time are simply the products and properties of this separation. I know this is a big claim, but there is big evidence to back it up in modern physics, says Silverman. So this is really cool. And this connects to me when I hear this. This connects to that, to the opening of the book of Genesis. And um, where you hear the creation story and God uh, it was, you know, the, uh, darkness covered the face of the deep, right? Mm-hmm. And it was just, there was this void of nothingness, right? Or, and then from that began separation. God, and the actual verb that's used over and over again in the Hebrew there is the same verb as you would use to separate one thing from another. Right. God started this act of separating, separating dark from light to make day and night, separ- yeah. you know, all these. And then you continue this, like, you can just follow the story down separating you know the waters from the land and separating mm-hmm. you know the waters above from the waters below and separating the the different types of beings and creatures and you know separating this different forms of life you know and yeah it's all about this separateness 
And he's arguing that <laughs> there is this unified space in which the consciousness exists mm -hmm. that this life is the experience of what it's like to experience separation. And that's why he's going to get into NDEs because we've already heard that from people who have experienced the near death right. experience is that idea of, I felt like everything was one all of the sudden. Right. Mm -hmm. right. Um, so then he gets into stuff where, uh, where he hits on like all things being, uh, one, all things being unified. Let me see if I can just pick out one of the quotes. Cause, um, yeah, just because I, I want to hit one of them, but not, not all of it. I want people to buy this book <laughs> ultimately, you know, right. I was like, cause this is just such a, I mean, I'm only, you know, handful of chapters in and it's, it's fantastic already. Um, so he asked this question, what happened to the state of union from which we came? If that's, mm -hmm. you know, the theory, right? what happened to it? Has it been broken apart or ceased to exist? Remember, time begins with the physical universe and time has no meaning without separation, right? Because time is what you measure from one thing to another, from right, one event right. to another, from one point to another, right? It's, it's what you're measuring. The implication of this is that the prior state of all knowing and all potential is not temporal and therefore does not change. This would imply that in some very real sense, we currently coexist within two states at once. We are simultaneously the one and the many. Hmm. We're simultaneously experiencing that oneness of, of being, you know, in that right. eternal state and yet also the separation of time. And I don't know if, you know, maybe this is something for the, the third segment, but do you ever feel, I mean, like what the biggest stressors in life don't, we've talked about this on the show before. Don't they almost always have to do with time? <laughs> you know, like, mm. right. Cause yeah, we, we stress about money and vocation all the time and, and jobs and yeah. work and stuff. That's all about money, but money is just a measurement of power over time, mm -hmm. right? Like how much power do I have in a given amount of time? Right. Everybody can earn, you know, if, if all you had to do was earn money, everybody's, uh, you know, infinitely powerful in that way mm -hmm. but it's how much money do you earn over a given amount of time right right yeah and then stress about like you know families growing and changing and things being coming different than they were mm -hmm. and stressors of you know good times ending and you know the uncertainty of what's to come it's all about time yeah you know it's like yeah. everything that stresses out is time it's because i don't think we're we really are like so down with being existing in time i think we much prefer the other existence <laughs> do you know what i mean uh -huh. <laughs> like, i don't know it's uh interesting to me um all right so uh oh yeah we gotta i gotta touch on this so he starts talking about uh, schrodinger again um there is the uh, the unitary evolution of the schrodinger wave equation implies that one can consider the whole physical universe as a unified unified quantum state when applying the quote-unquote wave function of the universe now he gives us a, um, a reference here to a source uh, let me see if i can pull that source for our listeners in case anybody's interested that comes from uh, andre lynn's universe life consciousness um, which was a uh, an article that he wrote it's available as a pdf from the stanford university website so you can look that up. And he's going to talk about this idea of the wave function of the universe that Schrodinger came up with. Um, 
the wave function of the universe is a subject that has been considered by such notable cosmologists as Stephen Hawking and Andre Lind. As Lind pointed out, when the wave function of the entire universe is considered, one realizes that the presence of consciousness observers is required to bring the universe to life. He's sort of hitting on that same idea that without... I'll just quote Lind here. This is from one, one, uh, two sentences at the end of his uh, mm-hmm. quote. Okay. Without introducing an observer, we have a dead universe which does not evolve in time. Does this mean that an observer is simultaneously a creator? <laughs> That's hmm. cool. Um, and then since we often talk about the merging of uh, science and religion, mm-hmm. he's got this fantastic, uh, fantastic quote here. Um, Many people think that science tells us that we are insignificant lumps of matter that have randomly appeared and that when our bodies die, we just cease to exist. And yet, here we see that the evidence actually suggests the opposite. Sentient beings like you and those around you are actually the most significant and powerful things in the whole universe. Hmm. That's because we are the sentient observer that brings life to the universe, right? And to me, that's a similar thing that religion would tell you, that you are valuable, that just the you, who you are, is a right. beautiful thing. You know, I would say, you know, I'm standing in the pulpit, I would say something like, you are a beloved child created by God out of love. Yeah. That's what I would tell a person, because that's, that's what I believe a person to be. And mm-hmm. people may believe differently, but that's what I believe. Well, that sounds very similar, <laughs> actually, you know, that that our, our being, which... Mm-hmm in religious terms you might call the soul right is what is the most essential part of all of life in this case they're saying your sentience is what brings life to the universe that sounds very similar to me sounds like very much the same thing all right so that was the whole thing on what is matter talking about like matter that it's um that it's all stuff that we just can describe the interactions of but when it comes down to what is it actually it's mm-hmm. nothing it's just something that we observe right? Right. it's really what it comes right. to so then the question becomes well what is mind right um so he says uh, what constitutes an observer an observer can only be an observer because he or she is sentient the observer has awareness so what is awareness All right. Well, here's the answer. (laughs) In the final analysis, we understand awareness because we are aware, and we cannot define that awareness to others except by referring them. We cannot define that awareness to others except by referring them to their own awareness. You can explain this to another person, but not to a machine, as it has no awareness. Right? So, Mm -hmm. I can only... (laughs) discuss with you the idea of awareness and consciousness by saying you know what it's like right because you Mm -hmm. feel like you exist right don't you feel like you exist and you say yeah okay i feel like i exist and you're like okay well there you go that's what it is yeah that's awareness can you think about your own self-thinking and you would say yes i can think about my thoughts and i can Mm -hmm. remember thoughts and i can decide certain thoughts that i want to think they Mm -hmm. don't just happen i can choose those thoughts right? right so there you can start to feel that that awareness that you have that observer nature yeah you know, the sentience right you can feel your own sentience which is really cool <laughs> right mm. yeah 
Uh, I can feel my shoulder, you know, when it's sore. <laughs> I can feel my stomach after I've eaten too many snacks at mom's house. You know, mm-hmm. I can I can feel those things, but I also can feel my sentience, which is a which is a cool thing. Hmm. Um, all right. So the last uh, topic that I'm going to jump into before I get out of the way and let you share your thoughts with us, Jason, is <laughs> this idea of separation. Yeah. Right. So we talked about it a little bit already. And they were talking about um, that what we really observe when we observe matter is uh, points that are separated by space and time. That's what matter is. Mm-hmm. You know, when you look at it, it's uh, it's all stuff that we can measure and distances and things. And therefore, it's separated. It's not all one thing. It's table different than chair different than floor different than beer bottle sitting on a table right? <laughs> right, it's right. all separate which is good in this case because then i can have a sip of molson golden because <laughs> i'm talking a lot ah i have awareness because that was fantastic awareness of <laughs> how refreshing that is even though it's been sitting here warm for half an hour while i've been rambling on uh, all right, so he's going to say that this whole thing comes down to um, two aspects of time that he, we're going to just jump into real quick. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is where he's going to bump into the, the shroud topic a little bit. Okay. Because he's really, he's like I said before, he's trying to lay this groundwork. Yeah. Um, so uh, the two things that he's going to uh, jump into are the existence of the present, which we've already talked about a little bit when they said that the mind is always in the now. I remember Schrodinger said that. The mind is in the now. If the mind is in the now, it's eternal because past and future don't exist to the mind. The mind is just present. Um, and then the arrow of time, which is the distinction between past and future that we that we understand. Um, so he's going to look at uh, look at both of those things. So as we discuss the idea of um, the present, he shares this uh, um, this stuff about Einstein. Um, and uh, yeah, so uh, he's essentially going to talk about what Einstein discovered, you know, through his theory of relativity, mm-hmm. all of that stuff. He boils it down a little bit, and he says his discovery um, was based on the realization that the speed of light is the same for all observers. Speed, though, is a measure of distance traveled per unit of time, and a consequence of relativity this is the consequence of the discovery, is that space and time are not merely an inert background against which things happen and move, but that they themselves are related to what's happening. For example, as you get closer to the speed of light, space and time become compressed, right? Which again, is the observer, right? Mm-hmm. The observer's traveling faster, space and time compresses, right? right? We have this... In the materialist worldview, we would see ourselves as just a, a meat sack, right, with bones and muscles. Uh-huh. That's really what we are, chemicals and, you know, meat, yeah. all bound together, existing in this backdrop, like an actor on a stage. Right. And the stage is space, you know, and then the, the way when the curtain goes up, that's time, and the begin, act two and act three, that's the time, mm-hmm. right, <clears throat> that we all just exist in those uh against that backdrop but einstein's theory of that's why it's called the theory of relativity is that it's all related mm-hmm. because the observer changes it if the observer is going faster then space and time are different for that observer and right. this is an ex- uh, an example that 
uh, Einstein had called the twin paradox. You ever heard about the twin paradox? Sounds familiar. Yeah. yeah. So the twin who accelerates, so it's two, two twins, right? Two siblings. The twin who accelerates up to almost the speed of light experiences less passage of time during the round trip to a distant location than the twin who stays on Earth, such that when they reunite, the traveler has aged far less than the one who stayed at home. Right. right. They didn't make a movie about that, didn't they? Some big movie about somebody that traveled off into space and came back and everything was different. I don't know. I remember that in Austin Powers. <laughs> <laughs> Austin Powers, where we go for all of our yeah, best right. learnings. I fell over. There was a, there was a book. Um, what was that book called? Um, uh, so the same guy who wrote The Martian. It was like his third book. Oh, okay. Kind of. I mean, not that same thing, but this guy goes off into space. and Yeah. Um, that's implied, right? That he's going to age sl- sure. slower than. Right, right. And that's it because he's traveling faster, right? So time and space are compressed for him. Yep. Again, we always say it. He experiences time differently, right? Mm -hmm. And we think that it's just some weird mechanic we don't understand about the backdrop, but it's because he's experiencing it differently. It's all about the experience of the observer. It's not about the matter that makes up space and time. Mm -hmm. It's about the experience. It's about the consciousness of that observer. Um, All right. So. Einstein's uh, equations suggest something very important. The path of the light beam as viewed from within the reference frame of the light beam. So if we imagine being light itself, right? Because uh, mm-hmm. you're traveling at the speed of light, right? So that light beam has no length and no passage of time. In other words, from the perspective of light, there is no separation between points in space or moments of time. For light, there is no time and space. Right? Even though it takes light time to travel across what we observe as light traveling across space, in the perspective of the light, it's bridged the gap between all points. And that's why they say, if you ever go to this fast as the speed of light, you're everywhere in the universe all at once. And there's like, what does that mean? You know? mm-hmm. But it's because of this idea of if you get there, if you actually get to that space you know, of traveling at that speed then you observe uh, that there is no separation between points anymore. Mm-hmm. There's no separation. Again, all things become one. Right. Uh, all right. So um, he said that is, it is impossible for a, an observer to reach the speed of light because observers have mass. Because once mass gets to, you know, mass can approach very closely the speed of light, but it can't get all the way there. Remember, light has no mass as, uh, you know, the energy that it is. It's, mm-hmm. it's energetic, so it's no mass. So that's why it can exist the way it does. Um, so uh, he says this, we are used to considering minds as associated with physical bodies that have mass, such as human beings. Um, but he didn't, he doesn't accept that our minds are made of um that our minds are made of mass, right? It's not the matter in our brains that makes our mind. It's somewhere else. So he actually believes it is possible for a mind, right, to travel at the speed of light, which what he really means by that is to enter into the space of no separation, which is very similar, again, to what we talked about when we did the episodes on the cities and, you know, people that achieve like the highest levels of meditation, mm-hmm. you know, and that meditative spiritual practice, right. they get into this state of <laughs> meditating where they're like, 
their minds can be anywhere it's because they're just connected to that that greater realm so much yeah right? um all right. Uh, and then he gets a quote from this guy, David Bohm. Um, he made an interesting observation about light during a conversation with Professor, Professor Emeritus of Rutgers University, Renee Weber. Uh, David Bohm was asked this, do you have any hypothesis as to why light has been singled out as the privileged metaphor in mysticism? You know, I just talk about it all the time. Mm-hmm. We talk about it all the time in church, don't we? Right? The light and the love of God, right? And right. what the Gospel of John starts with, you know, light of the world, you know, came in, into into being through Jesus Christ, right? Mm-hmm. This idea of light being just absolutely essential, not only in our religious practices, but in all mystical practices, right? right? It's key, it's essential. Why is that? Um, so again, he says, um, as an object approaches the speed of light, according to the theory of relativity, its internal space and time change so that the clocks slow down relative to other speeds and the distance is shortened, right? Because everything compresses. Mm-hmm. You would find that the two ends of the light ray would have no time between them and no distance. So they would represent immediate contact. That's why, you know, you're everywhere at once when you're at the speed of light. Because it, there, time and space is compressed all the way. So Mm -hmm. everything is just one, right? Um, Then he says this, mass is a phenomenon of connecting light rays, which go back and forth, sort of freezing them into a pattern. Now, if we think about it, that's what my hand is made of. My hand is made of light that has been slowed down and almost frozen into a pattern. Think about it, right? So energy, right? Energy is is what makes up atoms and molecules and they're spinning all around one another mm-hmm. sort of dancing in this place where they're stuck together right it's like you compress the light and kind of froze it into place and then you have all these laws of physics that gather them all together and boom my hand is made of what bohm calls frozen light <laughs> so matter as it were uh is condensed or frozen light matter as it were is condensed or frozen light mm-hmm. it's like trapped right it's like it's flying around free like the light from you know lights that we see light sources that's free light yeah but matter is condensed light which is such a cool Hmm. idea right when we say like you know didn't jesus christ say you are the light of the world right (laughs) to his followers right yeah yeah oh my god it's like such an amazing thought to think when a physicist says you're pretty much kind of like frozen light. <laughs> yeah. You know, and he's just a physicist. I never heard that before. I know. I never heard it before either. I was like, that is cool. Yeah. So if we're frozen light, right? Boom. All right. So then um, it is interesting that people like uh, Siddhartha Gautama, uh, Gautama, so I said that wrong, which Buddha, That's that was Buddha's name, and okay. Jesus of Nazareth are often depicted as having had light around them <laughs> and that there are reports that at times Jesus' body was seen to shine for example, at what is referred to as the transfiguration. You know oh, that sure. story well, right? Yeah, yeah. Boom, he's a bright white light Jesus guy, right? And, yeah. and they same things happen with Buddha, right? The light is like unfreezing or something right. in those people, right? Um, if this is so, uh, I have suggested that perhaps it was the initial choice to exist in separation that froze light into a matter around the time of the Big Bang origin of the physical universe. 
right? So we, we say, all right, yeah, if we want to practice being light that's separated from other light, so let's slow down our light into matter, and then we'll exist as I'm Jordan and you're Jason. We can have a relationship. Right. But really, we're the same light just cast into these different frozen molds that are ourselves, our, our physical bodies. Right. And we can experience life together. Let's grow up and we can be brothers and have a podcast and <laughs> drink beers on it. And have right, all right. these experiences in a time place, you know? Yeah. Like that's, right? Uh, so if that's so, then is it conceivable that the opposite of this is achieved through what Jesus referred to as loving the neighbor as self? It actually begins to unfreeze matter, which then begins to shine? If so, could the light occurring as a result of this be of the same nature and origins as the light that left his image on the Turin Shroud? Right? Mm-hmm. So that true like love, does that actually unfreeze light? in some actual physical way hmm. that would then burst onto a shroud right. and make, make a light pattern, right? Mm-hmm. Crazy stuff, but I've never heard the frozen light thing and I loved that analogy. Yeah, um, yeah me too. The last thing he's gonna talk about is just the arrow of time. Um, and this is interesting because uh, the arrow of time describes the difference, the difference between order uh, and chaos, right? So, uh, or order moving towards decay. Okay. And we see that all the time, right? right? You've used the bathroom across the hall here that, that Lila inhabits, so you, you know what chaos <laughs> looks like. <laughs> yeah, I didn't right. think you were going to go there, but yeah. <laughs> well, you I experience do. it, right? Yeah. But it's the same thing, right? Our cars need maintenance, mm-hmm. right? You got to you gotta change the oil. It just decays, mm-hmm. right? Uh, our bodies, phys- the physical bodies, just over time, it just decays. Homes you know need repair Mm -hmm. constantly to get decay instruments as they age you got to tune them you know like everything's moving towards decay so this is what they call the arrow of time uh which shows us you can look at two things you can look at a new house and an old house and immediately tell what's the difference between them the one Mm -hmm. that's new doesn't have any signs of disorder and decay whereas the other one is starting to fall apart Right. right, and that's how you can say one is older than the other. Right? right, it's moved through more time. So that's the arrow of time. Right, is, is um, order t- towards chaos. So that means if you track backwards, mm-hmm. right, from where we are now in our in the timeline of the universe, you go backwards, backwards, backwards. You're going from chaos to order. Right, mm-hmm. you're going all the way back to where it's unified and ordered and perfect. Right, so. <laughs> Uh, they, there's just a quick quote here about the odds of this, how ordered it was to okay. start because it's actually pretty ordered right now. There's a lot of order mm-hmm. in our universe, even though it's decayed for what do they think it's, you know, 14 billion years old or something like that. You know, it's been in decay for 14 billion years and still there's a massive amount of order. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it hasn't gone to full and complete chaos yet. Although some people would argue against that. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Uh, but so, so he says this, to imagine the odds for the universe to have begun in as ordered a state as it did, you could try adding one zero for each and every atom in the universe, and you would still not even come close to a number big enough to express the odds. Hmm. So start with a one, and then every atom that exists, add a zero to that one. That number is gigantic, and it's even the odds of the universe randomly starting as ordered as it did mm-hmm. are bigger than that number. <laughs> so it was not even comprehensible, those kinds of numbers. Yeah. 
So it's essentially saying it's incredibly, um, incredibly uh, unlikely that it was so random event, right? So he says this, if I suggest, if as I suggest, the physical universe began as a result of choice to separate, then it is perhaps this choice to separate that demarcates the arrow of time as long as sentient beings remain in separation with the physical universe, right? Uh, so then we get a quote from the Gospel of Matthew. This is Matthew <laughs> 6, verses 19 through 21. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Uh, he's talking about Jesus here. Obviously, those are the words of Christ as recorded in the Gospel of Matthew. Mm -hmm. Christ seems to have suggested that to be physical and temporal is to exist in a state where everything decays. <laughs> um, and then he says, I think it bears repeating that these words may be open to uh, ir irrational verification, which might lead us... It, might be open to rational verification, which might lead us to a revolutionary way of understanding ourselves, each other, and the world we live in, right? He says rational verification, meaning like, let's understand this rationally. Let's not just, let's not just put it up as faith, but mm -hmm. let's not say it has to be understood materialistically either. Yeah. Let's have this third way of our existence being a continuum of the convergence of um, mind and matter and that the matter universe that we live in flows from this mind desire to experience separation um, so he says the shroud of turn might well be evidence that he did indeed practice what he taught because in the very next verse uh, matthew six twenty two, he said this the light of the body is the eye if therefore thine eye be single, thine whole body shall be full of light. Uh, light would appear to be that for which the separations of time and space are resolved, as not, no time or space passes from the perspective of being light. Right? If you get to that light being place, right, then no time or space impacts you. Mm -hmm. So he's saying you could the eternality of a person like Jesus Christ could be actually described in physics quite easily. Yeah. <laughs> when you talk about Einstein's theory of relativity and the way that, that light functions and the way that the mind and the body and the matter all work together. Um, all right. So uh, I'm just going to give you a couple last quotes here. Um Okay. Uh, I, I've, yeah, we're going to go to uh, Schrodinger's wave equation again. Um, describes a linear, fully deterministic evolution of the quantum state that implies that the properties it describes, such as position, momentum, and so on, do not have defined values. So it would be meaningless to talk about the electron being here or there. Right? This is quantum mechanics. You can't pinpoint a thing until you look to see if it's there and then it's there. That's what quantum mechanics 
says in my terms. (laughs) (laughs) Jordanified. Somehow, consciousness seems to be implicated as the agency that makes the wave equation of the universe collapse into points, which thereby creates temporal reality. It's our consciousness observation that creates these specific points of separation which he's saying must be this bigger picture consciousness wanting to experience separation Mm -hmm. wow crazy so um if bohm was right and matter is frozen light then what are the implications for our existence as physical human beings as amalgams of mind and matter The origin of matter would appear also to be the origin of space and of time as the expression of the separation of points. The information conveyed by our physical senses tells us that we seem to exist in locations that we call physical bodies. One last uh, quote here. Could it be that it was the choice to be separate that made us different from the original limitless state from which we came? The only way to become different from it would have been to become limited and specific and it would then be these specific identities that demarcate our difference from each other and from the state of perfect union of all being from which we came so that's his big that's his big uh thought at the end of that chapter Hmm. so what he's really doing is trying to lay the groundwork in actual you know physics the science of physics mm-hmm. quantum mechanics and einstein and lind and then bringing in uh, uh philosophy through schrodinger he's bringing right. all these together to say if you start to look at this artifact of the shroud of turin in a rational way not just saying it has to be one or the other it has to be all material or it has to be all pie in the sky faith mm-hmm. right it, there's a third way there's this third way of understanding that this could it could all be it could be material and and immaterial it could be, it could be mind and matter mm-hmm. you know it could be so that's where it, that's why he didn't really talk about the shroud very much in this section of the book right because he had to get this sort of groundwork laid for for really his argument is like well, all this stuff let's let's look at it rationally and verify it through all chunks of science Mm -hmm. you know not just okay we can look at it and say well you know the corner of it says it was from the 13th century hoax you know like right right done and then put it away you know but if you start to look at the bigger picture of everything then it's amazing and i love it when i love it when physicists say things that (laughs) theologians say you know it's like this is cool you know like i love it when that stuff starts happening because i love both things you know i I love the theological investigation of the world Mm -hmm. but i also love the physical investigation of the world it's it's all part of a reality that we experience, right? So yeah. let's talk about it and let's, yeah. yeah. So anyway, that's where I'm at with that. Um, I'm going to stop, let you digest a little bit. <laughs> I mean, the material. Yeah, the beer is good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah beer is flowing Digested nicely. That. Yeah, and then uh, we'll be back to close out episode number 49. Thanks for listening to the Music of the Spheres podcast. We'll be right back.
episode 49 of the Music of the Spheres podcast. And uh, Jordan's taking a much needed uh, refreshment <sighs> sip there after a lot of information. Yeah, yeah. I just uh, dumped a wheelbarrow of philosophical physics on you. <laughs> a wheelbarrow. <laughs> How many, uh, yeah, how many uh, uh, chapters of dirt uh, was that? <laughs> that was three. three that was chapters. three. Three okay. chapters condensed into my right. little talk there. Um, uh, there's so much more. It's, I mean, which is why I always tell people, like, buy the, get the books, you know. Right, right. Um, I got this from Park Street Press, uh, Rochester, Vermont, www.parkstreetpress.com. Um, I actually think I, I think I got it from Inner Traditions uh, website, but that's okay. the publisher is Park Street Press. And so the awesome. uh, yeah. um, the three chapters were were they uh, titled something that is uh, straightforward or were they sort of yeah. convoluted? Uh, no, the what were they? The first chapter that we discussed was a chapter called "Mind Over Matter?" Question okay. mark. Okay, and that was um, that one. Mm-hmm. yeah, and then the uh, the second one was another question: What is matter? Um, and that's you know that's where he sort of. Actually, that was, no, uh, chapter four. So chapter three was called Mind Over Matter. Chapter four was the universal mind's I, meaning the okay. letter I, like individual I, me, not, right, right. you know, I that you see with. The universal mind's I, and that's where he discussed what is matter and then what is mind. Uh-huh. He spent a lot, lot of time on what is matter. When it came to what is mind, it was just like, it's your observation. <laughs> it was right, very, right. very simple on that because, yeah. you know, the matter is all the stuff that we have all this observation about because the science of consciousness is not really developed that much because, mm-hmm. because of exactly what <laughs> I think he's saying is like the farther you get into it, you realize we're just observing something. We're just observing stuff, right? You know, that the observer is actually creating uh, or giving meaning to, mm-hmm. you know, it, and then that last chapter was the separate. Yes. The uh, last chapter was called the origin of separation. Okay. So, you know, essentially he kind of hinted at that same. That's the thing is like he, all the topics kind of drift together. Cause, right. Right. Because that's kind of what he's saying is it's all this continuum. This, you know, the mind matter continuum mm-hmm. is, uh, is the result of the conscious choice of beings or our consciousnesses to exist in separation right really yeah yeah and so yeah i mean i was looking at the um the front of the book because you had it you know open and mm-hmm. sort of tor- turned to me and throughout the whole thing it was like okay he's he's trying to connect these three things the you know the written in the subtitle of the yeah the book right the, yeah um Near death experiences, experiences, which he hasn't really gotten into. That's next time. Um, Then the shroud of Turin, and then the limitlessness, limitless potential of limitless potential of humanity. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, Um, yeah. And I think I I haven't gotten there yet, but I'm judging by what he's talking about that the the word humanity. He's not talking about our physical bodies. You know, like the limitless potential of our physical bodies alone. I think he's mm-hmm. talking about the limitless potential of our consciousness, right? Which then, because of what he laid out with the whole like free will thing, you see where he's going, right? Because mm-hmm. if you, right. if you well, yeah, take all those arguments yeah. that he just put down there, then you can say, all right, if I believe in, you know, 
it's like exactly what Jesus Christ told his disciples. If you have mm-hmm. faith, then you can do anything, mm-hmm. you know, it's, and so you, if you believe that your consciousness is the cause of matter, then you can eventually get to a state of manipulating that matter mm-hmm. in very profound ways, more than just picking up a beer and taking a <laughs> delicious sip of right. Molson Golden. Yeah. And I mean, that's kind of what I was thinking. I mean, I, mean, I didn't really have any specific thoughts because it was really like complex, but I was trying to like sort of synthesize an overarching goal was like, I kept seeing that limitless or what, what was it? Limit, limitless potential limitless of potential humanity. Of yeah. humanity. I, and I was like, well, yeah, of course he has to break down these things. Um, you know, these uh, very hard science um you know the the four tenets of physics or whatever it was. Yeah, the four for, the four natural forces. Natural forces in physics. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, Do you remember them now? Oh man, gravity. <laughs> That's the second I one. Remember that. Yeah. Uh, um, That's no, probably electromagnetism. Oh right, I thought of lost with electromagnetism. Yeah. Electromagnetism, gravity, yeah, right. those two, and then the strong uh-huh. and weak nuclear forces. That's okay. It. Yeah, that yeah. hold that. That's what, that's what causes atoms to form, bind together, mm-hmm. and then you know hold together. And I don't fully understand it, but right, they all are like he kept saying. They're really good descriptions. We have really good descriptions yeah, yeah. of of how all these things work. Mm-hmm. We have no idea what the heck they are. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like mm-hmm. or why. Like I love that one quote from Hawking. Why does the universe go to all the trouble of existing? <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. It's a lot of matter and energy. Uh-huh. Why does it go? It's like, yeah. couldn't have been cheap. <laughs> well, what else is there to do? <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. if you're not going to be a universe, yeah. what right. are you going to be? <laughs> a podcaster. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I mean, it kind of, it kind of helps to, as you said, like lay a foundation of um, like our existence in the midst of that. Mm-hmm. Um, not only... Um, our existence and like how we come to think about something like the Shroud of Turin, for example, mm-hmm. right? And um, what the world around us uh, and what our minds, how how that all is all, you know, mixing together to create <coughs> conclusions or, um, you know, a farce or whatever yeah. it is. Yeah. Um, and then also, I mean, uh, assuming... Well, well, the next time is uh, near-death experiences like that. That too, kind of, uh, if we have this foundational uh, foundation of what all all of the things he mentioned in these chapters, um, the separation and, and mm-hmm. matter and um, you know physics and all of this, uh, you know, time and uh, being. Uh, what, what was it? Uh, uh, frozen, frozen light, light. dude. It's so right? cool. <laughs> um, then things are like frozen yogurt. You know? It's like <laughs> it's normally just yogurt, but then you freeze yeah. it, and it's somehow way better than you ever thought it would be. <laughs> right, <you know>? right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it melts, melts in the mouth. <laughs> yeah, which yogurt it's already melted. Yeah, so. who doesn't like a good froyo? Yeah, um, but with the near death experiences too, right? If there's, um, I guess, I guess where I'm sort of landing is um, we. And maybe this is simplified, but like taking taking things for granted about our existence in a universe that is 
in just three chapters, you can see how complex it is. Yeah. Right. Um, so something with like a near death experience, uh, is obviously, uh, could very well just be a, uh, a normal part of how we interact with the universe, how we interact with time, mm-hmm. how we interact with, um, people who have gone before or people yeah. who have yet to come. Yeah. Right. That kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and it kind of makes it a little more easy to get into a different point of view, I think, if if we're able to sort of break the science down and and think about frozen light yeah, and think about uh, our existence uh, as uh, as people with minds, right? And, yeah. Uh, so I can kind of see, I guess, even in like amid all the complexity, see how uh, he would have to get to this stuff before really right. going any further. Because if he doesn't, then it's just kind of like, well, you're saying all this stuff. It's it's just like everybody else saying right. stuff about the Shroud of Turin right, right. or near-death experiences. Like, well, yeah, it's either this or that. And it's yeah. concrete and it's black and white and blah, blah, blah. And yeah. I'm right, you're wrong, or the other way around. And <laughs> exactly. It's, like, it's either materialist or it's dualist. Yeah. Right? It's either where you say it's all material, right? Mm-hmm. Or you say it's materialist and dualist, or materialist and spiritual, but the spiritual doesn't really, you can't, it's it's be, it's mis- completely mysterious mm-hmm. and unattainable to n- have knowledge right. of how the spiritual influences the physical. But what he's saying is there's another way. It's like, no, it's, it's all <laughs> really what he's saying is it's all one thing. It's mm-hmm. all related because you don't have in the same universe or the same. I say, I use the word cosmos to to discuss like the bigger than the universe right, right. realm, you yeah. know, like the all things place is the cosmos, you know, <laughs> yeah. the universe is a part of that, but there's also the cosmos, which, you know, holds everything that's not universe too mm-hmm. in there. Right. So, to, so to say that, you know, that those, um, that they are all, it's all one thing. You can't have divergent mm-hmm. things that don't connect in there because it's all part of the oneness of the cosmos. And there might be separation, like mm-hmm. he says, but you can't separate something that wasn't one already. It has to start together to mm-hmm. separate it, which means it's made of the same stuff. Yeah. You know, you can't, it, it, you wouldn't have to, if it came separate already, mm-hmm. you wouldn't have to separate it. Right. <laughs> you know, so yeah. it was great that we talked about burritos and fajitas <laughs> at the beginning about separating and what's not separating right, and yeah. building your own. Yeah. It's like... <laughs> Because that's really where he ended up going, you know, uh-huh. this idea of separation. Um, was there anything in there that was like, you know, that I didn't explain well enough or left you with a, con- a question or was confusing or? Well, um, no, knowing like my type of learning, like I would have to probably like read it myself mm-hmm. other than hearing someone else like yeah. say it to like fully grasp yeah com complex things like that yeah um, yeah you know and take my own kind of notes and stuff mm-hmm. um, but i i think what i found most interesting was the the idea of the um the limitless potential of humanity mm-hmm. kind of in the in the um the context of those chapters right where maybe perhaps 
because we forget that we come from the same stuff mm-hmm. um, and that there's been like, there's been like so much separation just throughout, you know, down through history, yeah. separation of even human from human, mm-hmm. uh, human from uh, earth, human right. from creature, yeah, uh, right, human from uh, spiritual yeah. human from whatever you people can probably make their own lists yep. of those things that um, we kind of forget the limitless potential mm-hmm. because we we have that limitless potential I think is kind of what he's saying because we come from this uh, this thing that was once one yeah and have an opportunity to right. kind of remember that yeah um, well, the, this thing but that, we don't. <laughs> right, right. This thing that was once one, but is also still one. Do you remember that part where he said, you know, right. like that we're all at once existing in a temporal separated, you know, state mm-hmm. and also the universal oneness as mm-hmm. well. Like we're existing a simultaneous existence, right. you know. So in, it seems, yeah, it seems to me that that universal oneness is, is the limitless potential. Right. Right. Um, yeah for a very simplified way of sort of saying yeah yeah well um mary claire uh the owner of the yoga studio she often says um you know when she's going through meditation or whatever she'll use the term the realm of all possibility you know that's what she's talking about is that you know that that oneness the potential of the you know the beginning of the of the universe as we know it now you know what was that state there right and that's mm-hmm. what he said. It was like, what what happened to that place? Remember when he asked that question? He was like, so what happened to that? If you yeah. know, if we became this this universe of separation where there's you know distant stuff that's separated from one another and blah blah blah. Like, if, did it all just go away? He said, no, because that place didn't have any time when it started because time didn't start until the separation began. So mm-hmm. separation and time are you know they rely on one another, right? So in the place of oneness, there is no time. So in the place of oneness, well, then it couldn't have time. And if it doesn't have time, it means it's there still, <laughs> right? So, which is just, you know, just cool thing. Mm-hmm. Come, I don't know. It's just, I love this idea of this conscious choice to enter separation, you know, to go in and, because that's what we saw in some of the, the uh, stories that we heard from the pre-birth memories, you know, there's sort of this conscious choice by uh, a particular individual soul to come into a life for certain experiences that they would Mm -hmm. have in it. Not always good, not good experiences. Like sometimes they wanted to have a bad time, (laughs) you know, like they were like, I need to go and experience this bad thing. Right. Like they said that, like, you know, these people that remember things from before they were born, say like i knew that you know my parents were going to be abusive or i was going to you know end up as you know poor and alone or you know not having as what i need and but i needed to have this experience and i don't know why and i can't explain i don't think it's the ultimate answer to the question of why do bad things happen to good people right that Mm -hmm. kind of question but i think you know, it's an interesting if we say, all right, we're choosing this, it's a conscious choice, it kind of ties into that too. Something we've talked about. Right. Yeah. Um and so I mean, I guess a question sort of back to you is like what what do you think is the um 
like in doing these three chapters, you kind of saw it as um, a collective whole, these mm-hmm. three. So it's yeah. like, what are the overarching um, sort of three, three or five like items that are kind of like most important to take with us, do you think, as we continue? Oh, as we, as we go through. Yeah. Um, I think the the biggest thing that he was trying to put together and, and that's why I grouped them together in this way. Also it was because it was the last chapter right before all the pictures in the book. <laughs> <laughs> so I stopped before we got to all the pictures. <laughs> um, hey, they put them there. Yeah. So. Hey, you know, he's like a natural, natural middle point. Yeah. Right. I guess right. Oh, I trust him, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, I think, I think really this idea of, of, I think it's twofold. The two the two biggest things is mm-hmm. the observer, the consciousness, the awareness, mm-hmm. the sense of sentience that we all have. Um, that being the realist thing, not the matter. Mm-hmm. You know, not the mic stand that's in front of me. Right? Like we fooled ourselves into thinking that matter is more real than our sense of being. Mm-hmm. But the matter is meaningless without our sense of being. Right. Right. Like this table has to have somebody look at it and see that it is a table and then use it as a table for it to exist as a table. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it's just a collection of ant- atoms. <laughs> right. Right. But as soon as observer sits down at it and places beer on it, mm-hmm. now it becomes a table. Right. Right. And it has usefulness and purpose. Mm-hmm. But what has given it its purpose is the consciousness the sentience that exists right that observes it right sure so i think that's the first thing because it flips the whole thing on its on its head the idea of you know what came first the chicken or the egg and right that did the gray matter come first and then we were like oh wow wouldn't it be cool to think i am (laughs) right right or or did the i am come first right and and then Mm -hmm. therefore uh, matter comes into existence to right. support the experience of an I am. Uh-huh. And then isn't it funny that that's what God answered when Moses uh-huh. said, what should, what should I, who should I said, who should I say sent me? Right. Right. And God was like, tell them I am sent you. Yeah. <laughs> and Moses was like, whatever you say, dude. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if they're going to know what that means. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Moses is like, I'm talking to a bush. <laughs> it's on fire. It's not burning up. This is crazy. <laughs> well, but, and it's kind of, I mean, it's uh, maybe it gets back to maybe that sort of platitude or something that you see on Facebook. Okay. Well, you don't. <laughs> no, I don't uh, see anything on people. Facebook. See, so that's the great yeah. thing, right? <laughs> Facebook needs an observer. So to me, it doesn't exist. Right. Like, it totally yeah. doesn't, right? Yeah, I hear in your, in your life. No, the only like, experience that I have of Facebook is other people's experiences of it that they share with me. Right. Which people mostly don't because they know that I'm not on it. Uh-huh. So it's a really interesting like example of exactly what we're talking about. Right. That it requires somebody to observe it to exist. Yeah. yeah. That's true. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, it, to me, it doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. You know, I see. I look around. And I say, "Oh, wow! It really exists for you. You're having a bad day today because of something you read on there. Now you're upset about mm-hmm. it. I'm like, why would you do that? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but and and people use it as well to like um, experience their lives, 
like people kind of use it as like almost a diary Mm -hmm. some people yeah which is kind of like weird like you really want to say all this like (laughs) to me you barely even know me yeah yeah, but i'm reading it yeah yeah about about your like observation of your own life right and your reflection on it (laughs) sure and then you wonder would they actually say that in person or do they only say that to the computer or wherever they're typing it their phone or their ipad or their computer Uh where they're interacting with it would they actually sit with you and have that conversation right maybe with their closest friends but not with all their facebook friends yeah. And yet oh, they put yeah. that stuff out there. Right. Like, that's yeah. weird. Or maybe like three or four people I would tell that to. Yeah. And not, you know, some person I went to college with. Yeah. Yeah. I barely know their name. Right. And now it's that's changed because they're yeah. married. Yeah. Um, but l- another thing that ha- happens, um, and usually it's like with um, sort of like the older generation that's on Facebook, they'll post things like um, as they maybe think about or like reflect on life or um a loved one's birthday uh comes along a, a person who has passed um who has died and they sort of put a you know like one of those quote pictures on there and mm-hmm, it says mm-hmm. you know something akin to like um you know life was not about the things you had right it was about right. the right. the experiences the relationships yeah. like which i mean that's kind of a sort of platitudey way to uh-huh. say what what that first point was that that you're saying is like okay it's like the the sentience it's like the the i am it's like right. me existing right was oh that was the important part oh yeah right like yeah people people don't miss people because now they can't mm-hmm. use that person's boat yeah because it was sold after they died they yeah miss people because it was that person. Right, right. Or whatever. You know, right. I mean, they, and why they like the boat? Because they probably spent time with that person with on the that boat, person. right? Right, right. And what is that? That's an experience of someone else's sentience. Mm-hmm. That's what we love, right? Right. We, what, we, we watch shows, right? Mm-hmm. I, this hit me a long time ago. It's like shows that we watch on TV have actors in them. How many shows do you watch with no actors? Mm. Right? Or no, right. not even a narrator, right? Do you watch any? Like, <laughs> Uh, no. Right? Yeah. It's always about or people, even if, like, or people are like at least yeah. involved in some way, yeah. right? Right. Even like the sounds of the ocean that you listen to to fall asleep, right? right. Somebody like yeah. recorded that or right, right, right. created it. Yeah. 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 And it's an ex- it's an experience of sentience, right? And we like mm-hmm. experiencing sentience. And so we like to experience other people's sentience. That's why we like to ask people, how do you feel? <laughs> How are you doing? Uh-huh. Right? We want to experience like... Am I anywhere close to yeah. being as human as you? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about being human together, you know? And that's yeah. like, we do it all the time. We just don't put it in this kind of terminology. Right. You know, this philosophical, like physics, like, you know, deep physical science mm-hmm. te- terminology. Right, right. You know, we don't we don't use it in quote Einstein and the theory of relativity and talk about quantum mechanics and we don't talk about Schrodinger's philosophies and, right. you know, of the, you know, eternal, eternal nature of the conscious mind. And like, we don't... Yeah say it in those terms but that's what we're talking about right you know so i think that's the first thing to to answer your question of like takeaways that's the first one i think is really like you know this idea of of the consciousness as the Mm -hmm. as the main player of reality yeah you know and and that's what you hear from near-death experiencers too right they'll say it felt more real there than here you know Mm -hmm. it's very common this feeling of more real like 
and and which breaks our minds because we think of reality as the physical world around us mm-hmm. and not being any more greater than that. Right. But then somebody comes and says, "This is not as real as something else that I've experienced." You know. And then you're mm-hmm. like, "What? Well, you must be crazy." <laughs> you know? uh, yeah, yeah. And I'm gonna fall and put you in that lump of you know crazy people. Oh, it must have been like chemicals like firing off in your mind as you were having this you know traumatic <laughs> experience. Yeah. Right. Right. So you, you just you just put them in the crazy bucket and say it doesn't that doesn't exist. But mm-hmm. until you have until the same thing happens to you, and then you're like, oh wow, look at this realness that's here now in this yeah. place that's not the physical realm that I'm used to. Uh, so that's the first thing, and then I think the second one is this, and it's linked to the the second chapter that I did was like the the middle part of it, you know, that like mm-hmm. the consciousness is the core. Before that was the idea of the free will, mm-hmm. right? That it's that the because of that the mind can act on the matter, right? And then then the last chapter starts to try to explain why is why is there separation, right? Like why is there um, you know uh, different points in space and different time? Mm-hmm. Why does it flow like it does? Right, and him saying that it's a it's a conscious choice uh, for individual, I guess, I guess souls or individual consciousnesses, you know, to enter into a place where there's separation, hmm. and to be, uh, essentially to become like frozen light, you know, mm-hmm. and live as frozen light for a while. Um, and I think I think that's the biggest, probably the biggest takeaway that I don't know exactly yet how. It, really relates to where he's going with the shroud Mm because i haven't read on i'm reading it along with you guys but sure um that it's i think it's going to this place where you know obviously he's going to discuss how it relates to um what happened with this artifact Mm -hmm. Uh, but i think just in general it's it's a really interesting idea because i think it sheds light on so much of the other stuff of our experience of this existence Mm -hmm. you know why do bad things happen in the world you know and i still can't answer that question but you know i think part of those things are the experience of separation that we experience separation in life and some of us see it as true and complete separation absolute otherness Mm-hmm. right like i am me individual to you there is no connection and therefore maybe you don't mean as much you know right, right. and therefore things like murder and abuse and things like that can happen and war and, and genocide and all that. right when you start to see ultimate separation like mm-hmm. it's, i think it's kind of like maybe a side effect right of right. like let's go into separation yeah this is the this is the possibility that can happen is, is like lots of bad experiences mm-hmm. and maybe that's part of it to say we, we want to come here and experience negativity. I mean, who hasn't who hasn't ever had you know bad things happen in their life? Everybody does. There's a d- different degrees of that, you right. know, for different people. But everybody's had beautiful things happen in their lives too, mm-hmm. you know, for the most part. So it's like, yeah, it's one of those things where it's, you go there to experience it. I don't know. So I think that's I think that was the um, what I found the most interesting was mm-hmm. the separation stuff. Why is there separation, right? Because if you say oneness, okay, well, then why not just stay there, <laughs> you right. know, in, in the oneness and the order and the, mm-hmm. 
you know, perfection and like light sounds so cool to be a light being, whatever that is, you know, right. Why would I come here in this thing that can get cancer or this, this body that can decay and get old and, you know, mm-hmm. and then have aches and pains and heartbreak and, you mm-hmm. know, despair and depression. Like, why would I come and exist and, and feel all those things if I could just be in the oneness? But right. I don't know. That's, I think it's, that's like a good potential answer to that. Right. Yeah. You know? <laughs> At least, the, I mean, it lays a really interesting framework um, for how he'll discuss it. Like, now it's really interesting where he's gonna take it it's like yeah i don't i mean i can sort of you know assume or sort of make a hypothesis yeah um based on like you know training from seminary and uh just a lot of that language um in as part of my life but um i could be way off right so yeah it's kind of it's kind of cool to it, it was kind of it, i mean speaking of like electromagnetism and uh, uh spirituality and things like watching lost uh some people just would get like so wrapped up in in the weeds of like the details yeah um, but at, at one point i was just like i'm just gonna enjoy the ride like i don't <laughs> you know i don't care yeah. really i don't care how it ends or like what's yeah. happening it's just like just enjoy the ride of this this yeah. book and yeah. it's laying down some interesting things and we'll see where it, yeah, where it takes us. Yeah. It's cool. I, I mean, uh, any book where they're, where they're quoting Einstein and Jesus is like, all right, that's cool. Wow. <laughs> you yeah. know? Like, yeah. Let's go for it. I mean, how many are there? They're like five. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> awesome. Anything else, Jason? I think that's yeah. about it for awesome for, Hey, yeah, I just wanted to, you know, cause like one of the reasons we do the show format the way that we do is so that it's like, mm-hmm you don't know what I'm presenting. Therefore you're listening along with the audience and the yeah. vice versa on the episodes where you yeah. present. So you can ask questions on behalf of the listeners. You know, if there's something mm-hmm. that confusing to you or I screwed it up, it might, you know, <laughs> like you might have it. So that's why I asked you yeah. if there's, no, I mean, I don't, th- I don't think you screwed anything up. It's just, um, you know, processing the yeah, information yeah. Yeah. is, yeah, is uh, different for everybody. Sure. Well, we'll that we have uh, we have a link to the book in the show notes, so you can find it if you want to delve into it for yourself. And Silverman does a great job of of really referencing everything really well. Not only does he have a bibliography in there, but he's got like when he quotes something, he puts you right to a right to the place where you can go to find the article online or cool. whatever like that. So so it's good if you if you do want to do more digging and and find a little bit more of what's behind what he's saying, then you can go and look. Mm-hmm. It's really cool. Nice. And we do recommend everybody gets the book, A Burst of Conscious Light by Dr. Andrew Silverman. I got my copy from innertraditions.com, and it's uh, produced by the Park Street Press in Rochester, Vermont, parkstreetpress.com. And, uh, yeah, fantastic journey so far in uh, investigation of the Shroud of Turin and what it might imply for the existence of this whole cosmos that we are participating in. As conscious observers. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, that's all, all we've got for this show. Um, make sure you tell all your friends about the Music of the Spheres podcast. Send them to our website, uh, musicofthespherespodcast.com. Uh, we keep promising a, a website, which um, we are uh, continually talking about. So maybe we'll actually do some real work on it at some point. But um, 
still being manifested yes yes it hasn't it's in it's there in the eternal realm it just hasn't yeah, uh, right. reached the time and space realm yet where are we uh-huh. <laughs> uh so the potentiality for the website is fantastic or right if now. we've spoken it into existence yeah it already exists yeah there you go right is that yes. what you're saying yeah yeah somewhere it's, it's it there. exists yeah no, it exists. We've talked about it. No. Uh, so, but right now, go to the regular website that, that's there, and that does get you to all the different platforms. Please uh, like, subscribe, rate, whatever your platform allows for podcasts. It's really good for us to, to get it to more people. Uh, tell friends about it, and um, send us an email, brothers at musicofthespherespodcast.com, and also find us on Facebook and Instagram, and connect with us there. Uh, I guess that's all. So, yeah. From the deepest parts of our beings, we thank you for being a part of our universe here on the Music of the Spheres podcast. Have a great week. What's the difference between a fajita and a burrito, anyway? And a taco. Burritos, tacos, fajitas. Well, tacos are, like, not closed, right?